Hello, everyone. You're listening to Crunch Squad. It's a podcast within a podcast where we talk about the rules, the mechanics, and the number crunching behind this wonderful game of Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Ned Wilcock, your host for Crunch Squad, and today I am joined by... Mickey! Yes, our wonderful chief editor, our audio engineer, and the player of Malamara, the warlock. That's me! And tonight we're going to be talking about warlocks, uh, continuing on with our discussions of the different classes that we have in our party. Warlocks are very unique among the spellcasters in D&D, but let's let Mickey tell us about that. Uh, what do you enjoy about playing a warlock? What kind of drew you to the class initially? Um, what kind of drew me to the class was when we were first kind of putting our, our cast together and trying to figure out um, what our parties would look like. I really wanted to play something that felt not a tanky, but a fighter. We, we didn't have a whole lot of melee. We had you know, um, our rogue is traditionally usually pretty ranged, and our druid, um, I think the wild shape can be quite co- close combat, but a lot of spellcasters are rather, how do you delicate? Delicate. <laughs> delicate. <laughs> um, and so I wanted something that uh, could fight, but I just came off playing a wizard, and I wasn't willing to give up some spellcasting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I found that warlocks actually double pretty good as a, a fighter that can also cast magic without um, taking a, a subclass or something like uh, rogue can be an arcane trickster that I didn't have to take a subclass to help with that. I could just have magic and be a fighter at the same time. Yeah. And warlocks, their magic is a lot simpler than most classes. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't get a whole ton of spell slots like some other classes might. But you get them to recharge a lot quicker. Yeah, that was something I was really excited about, is that warlocks, re- most spellcasters, you recharge after a long rest. Or wizards have... Arcane recovery. Thank you, arcane recovery, that after a short rest, they get almost like half their level back in spell slots. But warlocks are like 30 minutes and I'm ready to go again, even though they do have lower spell slots. Um, I'm also really interested in the fact that warlocks can only cast spells at level. Like they can only cast at first level, they have first level spell slots at second level or at third level, they have second level spell slots. So any first level you have, you automatically cast it at that second level. Yeah. So a lot of spell casters, you're like, as a druid, you're like, oh, I want to cast a second level, but I only have a third level open. Is it worth like doing a higher slot or you get really frustrated that you're like, I only have first levels and I want to cast a second. But warlocks are like, you have very few spells, but you cast all of them at like max damage the whole time, mm-hmm. which like kind of takes that pressure off. Do I use a higher spell slot? It's like, nope, you're just going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I may not be entirely correct on this, but I'm pretty sure that one thing that's fairly unique to fifth edition is the idea of casting spells at a higher level. Whereas in previous editions, you would have cure minor wounds and then cure moderate wounds and then cure greater wounds. In D&D 5e, it's just cure wounds. And then depending on what level you cast it at, you get a better effect. I believe you're right. And so Warlocks, they're always getting the maximum effect out of all of their spells all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's been, I've really enjoyed that aspect that I just 
I'm like, okay, I'm just always going to do it at that higher level. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting mechanic that is very unique to warlocks. Yeah. Something else that is very unique to warlocks is, I think, the relationship between the warlock and their patron. Um, Something that, while a cleric might get their magic from their deity, often there's not as much of a kind of direct connection Is there anything about the patron-warlock relationship that especially intrigued you? Um, Initially, having... I've never played a warlock before and having experience with, you know, being either paladins or clerics, that you're right, that they kind of have a divine magic to it, that a lot of them have a religious background and that's where their magic comes from and you can have divine intervention and things like that, or... But they don't have... Or rarely, I feel like, in campaigns, do they ever directly talk to their deity mm-hmm. as much as a warlock really does and i think i really enjoy the aspect in if anybody watches critical role um matt mercer really brings in jester's patron and so playing this i've been actually very surprised that um thomas has brought in malamar's patron so much mm-hmm. that he's still kind of a mystery that we haven't revealed too much about him but he has been very present in her storyline and very um active in conversing with and talking to and being very near her which is something I've not ever experienced in Dungeons and Dragons and so I think that has been I really enjoyed hearing when Thomas has brought it up and both as Malamar and as a player going oh oh this is so exciting like it's so interesting to like be interactive with Mm -hmm. uh, this thing that has given the power whereas as a deity feels very more removed I suppose than um, a patron would yeah And for me, having been a dungeon master for warlocks in the past, there's a lot of really fun narrative potential with warlocks that you don't get in a lot of other places. Because, you know, according to sort of the mechanics of D&D, you don't really need to have an interaction between the warlock and the patron in order for the warlock to have those magical powers from the patron. But there's this idea with a warlock of they're giving you power in exchange for something. Yeah. And I don't know if uh, you're ready to drop any of the details about what the pact looks like between Malamar and her patron, but just like as a dungeon master on my side, and I'm sure what Thomas is doing as well, there are just baked into this class is the idea that there's a very powerful individual who has some degree of investment in what you're doing. And so the possibilities of bringing that into the story are pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm excited to see where her storyline goes for sure. Because as a player, I have a semblance of an idea of... Um, I, Like I said in my our Meet and Geek, if you go back and listen to that plug, um, <laughs> I, I'm a writer as... I like to write background out in full dialogue so I kind of understand the characterization and help hopefully the DM kind of see how... I was envisioning an interaction would be. And so I wrote out the interaction with Malamalar first meeting her patron, but then I also wrote it from the patron's perspective. Oh, interesting. And kind of what has led up to them reaching out um, and contacting Malamara for this boon. And so as a character, Malamara thinks she knows what the boon is, but there's also kind of a secret aspect to it. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, almost kind of another secret that I've, I've left up to Thomas to kind of pull in that I, as a player, don't even know how it's going to be involved in what's how the storyline unfolds. I've kind of given it to Thomas and went, well, there's Avenue A through F, 
go. <laughs> these are kind of some ideas that I had. And if you want to take any of these ideas and run with it, here you go. And so there's both the character knows things or the, she thinks that she knows what's going on, but that may or may not be fully true as a storyline unfolds. And I, as a player, don't necessarily know how that whole thing is going to unfold. I have some ideas, but I've really left it to Thomas to decide. Yeah, and I think if you've got a good collaborative DM, which I feel Thomas has proven himself to be, absolutely, and will continue to do so, I'm sure, um, it's almost like Mal has kind of this constant side quest, aside from everything else that's going on with Tiamat and the Cult of the Dragon and all that. Um, we've seen a couple instances of Mal's patron coming into the picture, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Thomas has some really big stuff in mind yeah. for this patron. Yeah, and that was one thing that I was also very excited about with the idea of using a warlock as and having a patron of allowing not necessarily whole party side quests, but maybe some character side quests or having that, to use an acting term, a secret objective. Mm, yeah. What is what is driving the character to go forward and do these things that she has an overall objective, but there may also be, you know, the puppet master behind the curtain pulling strings that she doesn't even realize that are happening mm-hmm. and leaving that up to the dungeon master to weave that into the tale. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just stoked to see where it goes. But... Some other things that the patron grants that I think are really cool, aside from the spell casting, which is kind of the obvious thing. So most classes, you get kind of a major decision point pretty early on as you're progressing through the class, where you introduce the idea of your subclass, um, which is the specialization that you take within that class. But warlocks, they get two different areas where they can make a decision. Your patron, who the person is that's giving you the powers, And then a packed boon later on, Mm -hmm. which opens up a lot of interesting possibilities. And you've chosen the Pact of the Chain, I believe it was? Yes. I decided to do the Pact of the Chain too, again in the Meet and Geek. I wanted to have a semblance of an animal companion that wasn't just going to die on me. And then I have to find some other way of, of bringing it back or... Um, going out and heaven forbid getting a different one or dealing with dragging along an animal that couldn't be versatile. So yeah, looking at the Pact Boon, I chose from Elmer the Pact of the Chain so that I could have the fine familiar spell to to fill that animal companion itch, or that, that hole. Yeah, and it's really cool that you know, there are tons and tons of different patrons out there for Warlocks by this point, and they all offer a very unique flavor. But with the Pact Boon, there is a very, it's a very good way to just kind of define what play style you want to have for your warlock. If you choose the Pact of the Chain, that gives you some more uh, utility kind of options. You've got this familiar who can go out and do reconnaissance for you and whatnot. Whereas if you want to choose the Pact of the Blade, you become a much better like in-person combatant. Mm-hmm. Or if you choose the Pact of the Tome, your spellcasting becomes more potent. Yeah. So... This is one of the things that really adds to the versatility of the Warlock is this Pact Boon, and that gives you further options later on that can help you even more customize your Warlock. I agree that it kind of goes back, it almost feels like multi-classing sometimes as a Warlock, that you could, the Find Familiar feels more like a Ranger, Pact of the Blade, the Fighter, and then the Tome, like a Wizard. And so I like that even within the class of Warlock, there are... There is the the pact, and then there's also the patrons. And so you have a lot of different 
ways to customize that a lot of other classes, especially just in the base player handbook, doesn't have a lot of access to. Mm -hmm. But kind of going from the Pact Boon, something that is very unique to the Warlock is the idea of Eldritch Invocations. These, I think, in a lot of ways really help to make up for the fact that Warlocks don't have a lot of spell slots because there are just so many cool things that you can do with these Eldritch Invocations. It's kind of like, broadly speaking in D&D, there's something called a feat, which is like a specialized bit of training that you can take for your character that might make you a better spellcaster or a better fighter or whatnot. And these Eldritch Invocations are essentially kind of like miniature feats specifically for the Warlock. I agree. I, it's actually very hard to decide when you are trying, <laughs> especially in character creation, because there's, because you get the invocation so early, there's so many great low level things that you can do that make up for the, the missing spell slots. And so it is, it's two pages of invocations of, okay, okay, what do I want to do? Oh no, what a, but I want to take, you want to bat, you want to balance that, you know, combat versus versatility, especially with spellcasters. And so trying to decide, trying to narrow it down to what you can and can't do or how you want to shape your character. Cause much like almost feet trees in Pathfinder, there are some that have prerequisites that mm -hmm. you have to have the path of the blade or you have to have the pact of the chain before you can get that kind of feature or you have to have so much wisdom or whatever and so you almost look ahead to your future invocations to kind of build up what kind of warlock you're trying to shape it into yeah it can require a lot more planning on the front end but kind of because of that you have an opportunity to get a much more specialized and kind of unique view of who you want this person to be totally and something that I really love about a lot of these invocations that maybe kind of gives them a one-up on spellcasting, it's like, you know, sure, a wizard might be able to use their spell slots to cast the detect magic spell, but as soon as they're out of spell slots, they can't cast it anymore. Whereas if a warlock takes Eldritch Sight, they can cast detect magic whenever they want and not mm -hmm. have to worry about it. Oh, yeah. I really love that one. I... Like I said, looking at Warlock and wanting to be a fighter, one of my favorite things about the invocations was Armor of Shadows. That I can mm -hmm. cast Mage Armor on yourself at will without expending a spell slot. Yeah. And Mage Armor lasts eight hours. And so at will, Warlocks are just like always having this plus whatever to their AC all the time for eight hours at a time from the wake up until they go to bed. And I loved that. I didn't feel like I was at a disadvantage or feeling like a glass cannon like many spellcasters do or was being weighed down by armor. I could cast mage armor on myself at a very, very low level. And, you know, even aside from just the stuff that's in the player's handbook, you can also start looking in like Xanathar's Guide to Everything and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. And there's just even more of these Eldritch Invocations that you can choose from. It's a nice banquet of options for the Warlock. And then the other kind of major thing that Warlocks get to use to bolster their spellcasting is called Mystic Arcanum. And we haven't gotten to this point yet in the campaign. We're probably fairly far from getting to it. But it gives you an opportunity to learn other spells of higher level spell slots. And so you're not limited so much by the fact that Warlocks, as far as spell slots go, can only ever cast up to a maximum of five. 
you still have an opportunity to learn some 6th level spell slots, 7th level spell slots, etc. And you can just go ahead and use each of them once per day. Warlocks, man. They got lots of little tricks and lots of little avenues and fun things as you level up. And, you know, then leveling up all the way to level 20, um, you don't have to wait even a short rest to get your spell slots back. You can just take a minute and boom, there you go. So maybe someday we'll get to level 20 and we'll be able to see some of these really cool abilities. But Wouldn't that be cool? I don't know how long Thomas is planning <laughs> on having this go for. We shall see. Uh, I just want to, I've always wanted to do a one shot at like level 20. Mm. I've, I think the highest character I've ever played was a level, I think 14. We, we took, when I was playing Pathfinder, we took a bunch of our characters and leveled them up to 14 just to see what would happen. And like ran through a dungeon I always thought it'd be fun to just do a one-shot where everybody's just maxed out and see what that would be like to really play a 20th level character because they have such cool things. <laughs> well, that covers pretty much all of our basics for the Warlock. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there any other stuff that you wanted to talk about as playing a Warlock? I think you nailed it right to the head, Ned. I think that that, that covers the incredibly versatile aspects that make the Warlock a interesting and unique class to play because I feel like it's one that isn't necessarily chosen first or is thought of first as when you think of class you think bard paladin barbarian I feel like warlock maybe isn't one that readily comes to your mind but I've been very happy to explore it and been through this campaign to really um I don't sink my teeth into it is a great phrase, but to to really start looking to the future and how I want to shape my character. And I, fa- I found that the Warlock, I think, offers a lot of really cool storytelling abilities and opportunities to do uh, things within a campaign for sure. Yeah, and I'll admit, I personally fell into kind of the trap of, these guys don't have any spell slots. How am I supposed to use this class? I'll go and play a druid, which, you know, that's what I ended up doing. Um <laughs> But yeah, dig into the Warlock, and pretty mm-hmm. soon you'll realize there's a lot of cool stuff to be found there. There sure is. Well, I suppose that'll do it for us this week here in Crunch Squad. Thanks to Mickey for joining us. Of course. And I hope that you've all enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we have enjoyed talking about how awesome Warlocks are with their patrons and their Eldritch invocations and whatnot. And from wherever you get your podcasts please leave us a review. It helps to boost our ratings throughout each podcast service. It puts our show in other people's recommended feeds and it lets us know that you like what we're doing. But if you want to write something a little longer than a review, you could also email us at icastfireball2020 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and we're hoping to get the word out there and set this podcast on fire. Now, to get the most recent up-to-date content from all of us here, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter with the handle iCastFireball20. There you can get possible sneak peeks of upcoming episodes, interesting insight from the players and DM, and behind-the-scenes shots of us making this incredibly fun world. We just want to give a quick shout-out to our sister podcast, Improv Table Talk, uh, which I always feel weird plugging myself because it's my podcast. Never feel but, weird. Uh, yeah, so I uh, run that one. I'm the GM, and I do mini one-month adventures using the Fate Accelerated tabletop system. So whether you like tabletop games, improvisation, or hearing more from me, we would love to have you come give us a listen. Lastly, 
Please like, subscribe, and share with your friends and fellow wacky adventurers. And until next time, I am Ned, your host for Crunch Squad, and we've been joined today by... Mickey, and I play the warlock Malamara. Keep the fire going, and see you next time.